All right, let's face it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably trying to survive and thrive in a world that hates you, hates your values, and just wants you to go away. In a world gone mad, the question on your mind is, what can I do? How can I provide for my family in case of more mandates? Protect my kids from the woke mind virus? What about economic instability? If these questions have been weighing you down, I've got the answer. Tom's School of Life. Tom Woods is a New York Times bestselling author, libertarian podcaster with over 2,000 episodes, and father of five. Tom's School of Life offers practical liberty solutions for the problems that keep us up at night. When you join, you'll be met with a robust community of like-minded people all working towards solutions rather than complaining about the problems. Tom hosts two webinars each month taught by subject matter experts in areas we really need help with, like starting an online or offline business, homeschooling, how to avoid the sick care system, personal finance, real estate investing, or how to negotiate, taught by actual FBI hostage negotiators. But the way we make these ideas a reality is through the accountability groups. These are the heart of the program. In these, you get to work towards and workshop your dreams, goals, and aspirations. It could be a weight loss goal or starting your side hustle so you can finally leave your soul-sucking corporate job. There's also a jobs board, a forum, in-person meetups, and all the tools you'll need to survive and thrive in a world that hates you. I've been a member since its inception, and I have found the knowledge and network to be invaluable. So if you've been losing sleep wondering how you're going to get by when they inevitably try and pull another fast one on us, don't wait. Join us today. Go to libertyalliancenetwork.com forward slash T-S-O-L. That's libertyalliancenetwork.com forward slash T-S-O-L for Tom's School of Life. And join me and other action takers. See you in there. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Liberty Alliance Network's What Can We Do? I'm Haley Heathman, and today I am joined by Lee Deming. Uh, Lee is based in Laurel, Montana, where he finished a 43-year career in public education. And rather than retiring and going fishing, Lee decided he wanted to continue his public service, and he was elected to Montana's House of Representatives for the 2023 session. So, Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Haley. Yeah. So we've actually been acquainted with each other for several years. I I don't know. I can't say exactly when, but we're both part of the Tom Woods uh, supporting listeners group. Um, And, you know, I've known of you and seen you for we've had conversations online numerous times. Um, And so I was actually a little floored um, because... It was a couple months ago, I think, and all of a sudden I started seeing uh, videos. Do you know Liam McCullough? Yes. Yeah. So on Twitter, a guy named Liam McCullough, who I don't know, but I just started seeing videos of like the Montana legislative session. And I think he posted a video of uh, Lee Deming up on the floor of the, the house 
talking about the defend the card. And I was like, what? what? Lee Dimming? Like that Lee Dimming? And I had to go and check and make sure it was the same one. I was like, that's awesome. So I went into the uh, Tom's uh, Tom's supporting listeners group, and um, which you hadn't been active on in, in a little while. And I was like, yeah, Lee, that's it. I was actually surprised and felt a little cheated that you had, like, or maybe I missed it, that like I didn't even know you'd run and been successful in uh, getting into the house. But uh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, what's interesting about Liam, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but he's a former student of mine at Laurel High School. Oh, wow. That's awesome. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's an even more interesting story. I think it's fantastic that uh, I had never heard of the Defend the Guard bill, and it was Liam who brought it up to me in class when he was a senior. Um, I taught a class called Honor Civics and we prepared for a competition, a civics competition that was held uh, in quite a few of the states. And then whoever won the state competition would compete at uh, nationals in DC. And uh, Liam's group just uh, hit it out of the ballpark. He just crushed it. Uh, not just a dang smart guy, but a good guy too, uh, Liam McCollum. And so he asked me, have you ever heard Defend the Guard in one of these classes? And I said, I'd never heard of it. And so he kind of explained it to me. And I says, that, that sounds like a great uh, bill. So sure enough, when I got elected, I thought, you know what, I'm going to run that. And Liam and I yeah. talked about it. So uh, he was a lobbyist that kind of helped, uh, you know, rally votes and uh, get that thing rolling. So that was really pretty much the high point of my uh, term this year that defend the guard and working closely with a former student like that was just a blast. Yeah. That's gotta be so fulfilling. Probably one of the highlights of your career, knowing that you had a, t I mean, you know, there's probably plenty of times you don't know, but there's times that you for sure know that you had a tangible impact on a student's life. That's gotta make it more or less worthwhile. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. And you know, what's funny is that I've been with the Tom Wood show supporting listeners, like you said, for a while now. And one of the things I hear constantly is how, how bad the public school systems are. Well, those 43 years I spent were all in the public school system. And Liam is a product of that public school system. So we're not all bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was a product of the public school system. I ain't that bad either. But, uh, sure. you know, that that to be said, that, that said, uh, there's clearly room for improvement. So um, I do want to talk about Defend the Guard, but I want to get to that here in a little bit. Um, let's I like to kind of start. I, I'm chronological. I have to I have to do okay. things in order. <laughs> but um, so you're an educator for 43 years. Um, what subjects did you teach? Tell me about your background there. So. Uh, I was a social studies teacher throughout my career. I, I spent one year as an assistant principal at the high school here in Laurel, and uh, the rest of the time was teaching different social studies. And as I got farther into my career, I got more seniority. There was uh, a retirement, and the gal who retired had taught this honor civics class. And... Uh, and competed at the state competition and she had won the state one year and they went back to nationals. And when she left, she told me, you, you have to do this. This is the best program. And of course, uh, I knew everything and I thought, yeah, sure. Well, I looked into it and 
and the more I looked, the better I liked it. So this uh, Center for Civic, Civic Education, We the People program is by far the best training I've ever seen in the Constitution, the history, philosophy, and application of the Constitution I've ever seen. Now, that being said, the the folks who run it, um, the guy who started the whole program has since passed away. He was fantastic. And uh, quite a few of the people who are still involved in that program are uh, statist. I mean, they're, they've been brought up in the system. And they think, you know, the federal government today is doing everything it's supposed to do. But anyway, uh, the point is that this program is so good that it, it prepares those kids to, to be able to on the top, off the top of their head, uh, tell people what the constitution is supposed to do. And so, uh, even though the people run it are, uh, statist, um, progressive for the most part, uh, it, it still instills constitutional values in students. Boy, that's, that's certainly lacking in our society today, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know that I did the exact same thing, but I did something very similar um, in my senior, I think I was senior government class. Um, and yeah, there was like a competition where some people would take the fourth, like you had a team that did like the fourth amendment and a team that did the first amendment. I can't remember exactly, but I think um, it was, it was very good. And we were memorizing like quotes um, uh, from from these various people and talking about, okay, what the judges are going to be like. So it might've been the same thing. And it was, it I'm grateful been. for that. Yeah. That that's, that's pretty cool. So can you tell me, you know, from uh, your perspective as a public educator, well, I guess this is just your opinion, but you had certainly had a long career. Um, can you tell me, did it just, did it keep getting worse? <laughs> Or, um, you know, can you just maybe maybe more uh, neutral? How did it change over the decades? So, uh, yes, (laughs) yes. it it did sort of get worse. So I found that uh, over those four decades that the students that I had had uh, less and less actual background. So early in my career where I didn't teach those uh, uh, upper division or upper, upper level classes, uh, I found the kids to be a lot better prepared, you know, with knowledge about the founding documents. They could, they could quote part of, you know, the Declaration of Independence or even some of the preamble and, and talk about the different uh, sections as they went further, uh, excuse me, different sections of the Constitution. As they went, I went further in my career, the students came to me with less and less information that way. And so I would get seniors in high school who oftentimes had almost no background uh, in, in the constitution and the history uh, of the founding era. Now uh, I was fortunate enough to teach with some outstanding teachers later in my career in our department. And so I had a, a, a teacher who, in fact, we taught across the hall the last few years from each other who prepared his kids extremely well. And so it was almost a compliment to the class that I taught. And uh, without that, that would have been very difficult. So that was kind of, in my opinion, that it's it's a rare commodity to have that kind of lead up coming into the your senior year and your, 
your government or civics class. And this was a U.S. history teacher. And he had a passion for that. He has a passion for teaching that. And thank goodness. So, yeah, so, yeah they so then, less prepared. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, that's subject. That's uh, specific to the subject matter. But then maybe just the overall environment um, over the last few decades. I mean, so much has changed. And now we've got social media and cell phones and, you know, distractions in the class classroom like that. And I think maybe just general behavioral problems, the ADD, the ADHD, the over-medication of kids. Can you talk about any of that? Yeah. So that's definitely had an impact. Uh, and the behavior problems now get, you know, this as well as anybody probably you, uh, you spent time in Montana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had a place there for four or five years. Yeah. So um, I think we're fortunate in that some of our uh, behavioral problems are, uh, really not, you know, they're not like LA or Chicago. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, truancy is a big problem and, you know, kids lipping off, but they've been doing that since, you know, I can tell you for a fact since 1978. And so <laughs> those problems are less, uh, uh, much less to deal with than those other places. But I have seen an erosion in the amount of, uh, respect that kids automatically give to their teachers. Now, I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing because I think respect is, is best uh, earned. <laughs> so you got to be good at that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But the over-medication is a problem. Um, I think the over-diagnosis is a problem. Uh, you know, what do you do when you've got a, a young guy here, he's 17 years old and he's sitting in that desk for 47 minutes? You can imagine how... Uh, how hard is that? It's impossible for me to be honest with you. And right. so, um, yeah. what do we do? Do we give those kids a pill and tell them to settle down? No. You what you try to do is you try to channel that energy into something that you want the kid to do and make them think it's his idea. You know, that's what that's how you do it. But so I don't know. Did that answer your question, Haley? Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, when? When did you officially retire? What year? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> Twenty. <laughs> Uh, 21, what year is so it? 23? Had, yeah. We're in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. May so you, you kind of finished out, like you had a, a year of disruption from the pandemic, I guess that, yeah. What, uh, what did you experience then? No, oh, that was, that was a nightmare, uh, for, for educators that, and not everybody's like that. It's just like any other profession I'm guessing is that, uh, some educators like working from home, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and uh, of course I detested it. And uh, the one thing I didn't, um, I didn't have to do. They were pretty strict on masks when that whole nightmare started. Um, and of course, I think early on, because I was a member of the Tom Woods Supporting Listeners Group, uh, you know, there was some. There was a little confusion at the beginning. You probably remember where we weren't sure, you know, if this was real or not. And sure enough, right. uh, it didn't take very long uh, to figure out that masking didn't really work and it, this was a scamdemic and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way it was pitched to us is that, you know, if you don't take some precautions and a kid gets sick, you know, besides the tragedy of a kid getting sick, um, we open ourselves to lawsuits. And so that's the way they pitched that whole nightmare to us. 
And before it was over, everybody, and I told the kids over and over again, you know, I, these crazy vinyl uh, dividers between kids, uh, we're, we're going to enforce it a little bit, but uh, I wouldn't do it if I had my choice. And I said early on, remember, they said it's the older people. <laughs> and so I said to the kids, I says, uh, you know, I'm old. I, I'm in the target uh, demographic that's uh, maybe going to get sick. So I don't, I wouldn't do it. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it if I had my druthers, but the district says, you know, this is what you do. So this is what we did. Uh, looking back on it, I'm not very proud of that part of it, to be honest with you. But uh, again, you open up the district and yourself to substantial uh, lawsuit. Maybe that's not a great, great idea either. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, you know, everybody was in a bind and everybody's, you, you know, you were trying to do the best. And I remember even in the, in the Tom Woods group, I mean, I think there, yeah, there was early on, there was a sense of like people were saying, oh, this is logarithmic or linear or whatever, you know, the curve, et cetera, et cetera. And I think even once that had kind of gotten settled, like we thought, okay, maybe the case is, maybe there's not something to this. I, I think it took Tom a little while, not a long while, but a little while to still come around to the masking side of things. He still, he wasn't sure. It's not like he never advocated for them, but he didn't say much. Cause I think he was still trying to decide and trying to figure it out. I, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I had it figured out from the beginning. I was like, this is all bullshit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's, that's fine. It, it, it's, it's one thing to kind of sit back and, and observe and just be cautious and not say anything one way or the other versus being adamant and super certain oh no you gotta mask up you gotta do this and then and then having to turn around and be like whoa wait a second never mind i was wrong so he was just kind of trying to observe the situation and he wasn't really sure so he wasn't saying what one way or the other um but yeah i remember there's lots of um robust conversations um, with people that we trust, people who are good at looking at data and looking at charts and, and who have background in these things. So it was a higher level discussion than your average, like Facebook, you know, thread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that popped back up in the Tom Woods group too here just recently. And, um, I, I made the mistake of saying in the group that, you know, I took a wait and see attitude, which is what a lot of people did. Let's see what this is going to do. You know, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't compliant right away. Uh, and what particularly bothered me is that, uh, you know, they shut the churches down. Uh, right. That, uh, I, uh, in fact, uh, our, our pastor here in town, I've been proud of him ever since. He, we never locked down. Uh, we, we never, never required masks or anything like that. But before I knew that, um, I was ready to break into that church to kind of prove a point if I had to. You know, right. the First Amendment starts with freedom of religion, and so yeah, <laughs> that's uh, so. I was kind of going to make a stand there, but uh, I didn't have to here. Hey, so if you've been listening closely to this episode, you'll for sure have heard both me and my guest name drop Tom Woods a number of times. And there's good reason for that. All the cool kids follow libertarian thought leader Tom Woods and join his various classes and programs, including his most recent one, Tom's School of Life. Tom's School of Life is where you and fellow action takers learn practical liberty skills to help you survive and thrive in a world that hates people like you and me. We've already seen the headlines warning us they're bringing back COVID restrictions yet again this fall and winter. Are you prepared? 
Can you afford to say F you to your job? Do you know the best place to relocate to if the poo hits the fan? Could you survive in the instance of a food shortage? Tom's School of Life is the place to go to learn all of this. Join me and other problem solvers and action takers who aren't taking this lying down. Sign up at libertyalliancenetwork.com forward slash T-S-O-L. See you in there. Says we got to, you know, and, and we did the whole thing with uh, the schools being shut down. By the way, those kids lost, as everybody knows now, and I could tell they lost uh, a lot of, of uh, training that they otherwise wouldn't have missed. And even though a lot of people think that kids are unengaged and they're, they don't like to study, and they don't, just like I didn't when I was in school, uh, that background knowledge is indispensable. You know, you, mm-hmm. you lose, and just even my class, the, and I, even my, my senior civics class, not the honors group, uh, just imagine how much you, you missed by going remote. Uh, and so, um, that, that response was, was ridiculous on a number of levels, but it's permanently damaging to those students. Um, they will never get that. They leave school. A lot, a lot of them are going to get crap when they get to college. Uh, if, even if they go, uh, they'll never get that, that back. They'll never hear those kinds of things that they needed to understand to be, to be engaged citizens. So just, just that class, just in my one area, uh, devastating those kids. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So as you mentioned, I did, for those who aren't familiar, I did have, um, used to have a residence in Montana. I was in Northwest Montana, a little dot on the map called Trout Creek. Um, I was never there full time. I was more of a uh, well, the, whatever the opposite of a snowbird is. So in Florida, we've got snowbirds. I don't know what you what you call them up in uh, Montana, but um, I was there from about June till October um, most years. For about four or five years, I had a nice little twenty acre plot, and um, uh, I used to say though, I said, you know, Montana has this reputation of being a solid red state, and after having spent some time there, I'm like, well. I think it's a little bit undeserved, to be honest. Now, for the rural towns, like where I am, sure. But just like any state, it's the cities. And um, like I wasn't too far from Missoula. Missoula would have been my next biggest big town. It was a couple hours away. And Missoula, of course, is a college town. Awful town. Um, and then to the north, you've got Kalispell uh, and uh, uh, Whitefish. Um, which is overrun with Californians. Um, nobody likes Californians, California, and you need to stay in California. Um, and then to the south and east, uh, of course, there's Bozeman, um, another, I think, college town, but it's that's a little bit more trendy and ritzy and, of course, Californians. So that was four or five years ago. Can you paint me a picture today of maybe what the political landscape of Montana is? Is it uh, is it more purple? Do you think it's still pretty solid red? What direction do you see it going? Tell me what your thoughts are on that. Well, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're we are a purple state, um, and the influences of California and other places. Uh, has been felt in those bigger cities. And Missoula has been pretty solid blue for quite a while. Uh, Bozeman used to be solid red and now it's, it's turning blue. And so 
Kalispell's been that way for a long time. And uh, you're absolutely right, Californians uh, coming to Montana with their ideas um, has changed the political demographic to the point where uh, you can't expect a Republican to get elected in those places. Uh, that being said, the uh, state um, in the last session returned a 68 to 32 Republican majority in the House. And uh, all of the statewide uh, offices are held by uh, Republicans. So the governor, the um, uh, superintendent of public instruction, the attorney general, they're all Republicans. And so I think that was a pretty strong message. Now, uh, Democrats have actually made the um, assertion that that's because of um, uh, redistricting. And I, I think that's an excuse. I think Montanans are kind of waking up to the fact that uh, what Governor Bullock did and uh, some of the uh, some of the Republicans who should have voted a different way have kind of turned against the people in some ways. The Democrats, uh, I, I remember thinking during some of the debates in the House, they're going to have an awful tough time, those Democrats going back to their constituents and selling what they did uh, during the session. Uh, I, I still think that. But anyway, the, the point is that I think that we are, we are holding our, Ground. I believe that that was the biggest Republican majority in in state history in the House of Representatives, and it was a similar number in the in the Senate. Now I, wow. I see that. Believe it or not, I see that continuing. I, I don't yeah. know that we're going to lose very many seats in the next uh, couple of um, sessions. Although I could be wrong, I just don't think that that's going to happen, regardless of how many people move in, because once once people get here and they understand what uh particularly now with the current administration and you know this devastation that was so lightly handled and then by the uh the current usurper in chief uh <laughs> i i actually think that people are going to turn against the democrats countrywide and i hope it starts in montana yeah. Would you say um, that the, the current majority that you hold, was that backlash from COVID or was that something else? Well, I think it was a number of things, but I certainly think it was a backlash from COVID. Um, there was, there's considerable uh, discontent out there. Um, and in fact, even hatred for those people. Well, you've got a business and you're non-essential. Your governor tells you you're non-essential. Now your business fails. You've put your heart and soul into that. For one thing, no one person should ever have that authority ever to, to order those kinds of, uh, you know, ridiculous classifications of businesses. That's never, ever happened again. And I think the people of Montana have said, you know, I don't think so anymore. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I mean, at least in the rural counties, which is the majority of Montana, I mean, it's just like a lot of these states where, um, you know, you've got these blue enclaves, but the rest of the state, for the most part, is very rural, very attached, very traditional, very conservative. And when it's that silent majority we've been hearing about for so long, and now 
finally. I think it took the pandemic, but I think uh, in a lot of areas, people are waking up. They are finally finding their voice. And the silent majority is no longer staying silent. Um, I still think we need we need more. We need to do more. Always, always, always. But um, we are starting to see people now. They're they're seeing that there's something nefarious afoot, and this isn't going away. <laughs> um, yeah, it's coming back. Was it? It's coming back. Right. We're going to try oh, it again. I know. Can you believe that? So tell me, what was your, um, what caused you to want to run for state representative? Well, to be honest with you, I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't have any, 20 years ago, I thought, you know, I might be okay in the legislature. Maybe I'll run. And then I completely forgot about it. And out of the blue, I got a phone call from uh, a, a guy I knew here in town who was at one time a legislator from Laurel, uh, was in the state legislature. And he said, say, have you ever thought about running for office? And I said, well, I, I did a long time ago, but I'm not interested. I retired and I want to stay that way. And uh, he said, well, I want you to think about it. So I don't know, a week passes, he calls me again. He said, how about you meet with some of us? Uh, we'd like to visit with you about running for office. As I already told you, I don't want to run. He said, just come, come talk to us. So we had, uh, I, I think all but the current Senator who had been um, in office from Laurel uh, back to about 92 in one room. And they didn't pressure me, but they thought, you know, here's the situation. We don't know of anybody that would be, um, uh, a reliable conservative that would run. And um, we'd like you to to run for office. And I we think you'd be good. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll think about it. So I went home, uh, Sherry and I talked about it. And I, I wanted to stay retired. So I called him back. I said, I appreciate the offer, but you know what? No. And so we were running up when against was that. that what, what you what year was that, or when was this? Uh, 22. Okay. Yeah, so the deadline to file was like a week away or, or more. I can't remember. So one of the things that we do in the evenings is uh, we'll read or uh, scroll through whatever, you know, the, the, the latest news. And if we come across something outrageous, we – have you heard this or, oh my gosh, what, what do these uh, knuckleheads do now? And this just got, kept getting worse and worse. And it was uh, not just the pandemic that, that had really bothered me, obviously. But then I, there was uh, transgenderism and I mean, just all kinds of, the lunacy was just growing. And so I thought <laughs> right. to myself, yeah, you gotta be kidding me. I, and so I, I was sitting there and I was talking to my wife about, you know, some craziness going on. And I, I read on a uh, uh, social media site uh, and it just popped out at me as if somebody was telling me something and said, if not you, who, if not now, when it said it right there on my phone. Yep. I've seen that. And so I, I called these guys back and I said, you know, let's meet again. Anyway, long story short, 
uh, I still don't want to run. I, I didn't want to run. I didn't want to do it. Still don't want to do it. And uh, I did get elected. So. Yeah. How big is Laurel? We have about 7,000 people. Uh, okay. My district so- is about 10,000. 10, uh, and so my district goes from the southwest edge of Billings out to the end of the county. And then I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Laurel area, Billings area, but uh, it encompasses most of Laurel. Okay. Yeah. So then um, you you decided to run. Did you have to like mount a campaign? Did you have to do any debates or is it like too small of an area to really like, it's not much of, it's not that like official where you are. Tell me about your campaign. So I had a primary opponent um, and when I got in, there was already two people. I think there were already two Republicans in the race. And that would be something we, we could talk about here in a minute is how I wound up being a Republican. But anyway, uh, <laughs> there was there was two two guys. There was either one or two already in the race. So uh, the one guy, um, I didn't know him. I had, I had never met him. And uh, I told these guys that kind of talked me into running. And I says, well, they've got this other guy in the race already. He's probably fine. He's a Republican. Uh, let's let him do it. And they said, well, maybe I should have a talk with him. So he and I did talk. And uh, it turns out he's a great guy, uh, libertarian. Um, uh, he works in construction uh, as a contractor. Anyway, um, I think that they were afraid that he would be a little bit too libertarian. I don't know what this group that kind of talked me into running uh, thought, but this guy eventually decided he didn't have time. And so he, he said that uh, he would drop out uh, eventually if I wanted to run. Then there was another guy that got in and he didn't even live in the district. You know, I live West of Laurel. This guy lives in Billings. Mm. He doesn't even live in, in house district 55. And so I don't know what his story was, but um, I think uh, I beat him 72 to 28 uh, in the primary. And then I didn't have any opponent, no Democratic opponent, which, by the way, Laurel was a big Democrat town until about the mid 90s. And um, not, no Democrat even ran. And I don't know why that is anymore. But, you know, we've got three big unions in town. Um, and it was solidly Democrat for decades and it turned Republican, like I said, the mid nineties. So, yeah. So I was going to ask you, did you, I guess you, obviously you ran as a Republican then and, and not as a libertarian, which I yeah. think is to, to me, that's a smart thing to do. I, I mean, I know there's a lot of, uh, debate amongst our circles about whether we should run liber- Liberty Republicans or run people under the libertarian party ticket and, you know, I, I tend to lean Republican in that, that matter, but, um, you know, I'm open to either, but, um, yeah. So tell me, uh, about that. Did you have to like campaign? What was your messaging? What did you run on? Well, yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't answer your previous question. <laughs> I apologize. So I did have to mount a campaign. It was, uh, uh, for the primary and, um, the hardest thing for me 
was to to accept money. That was impossible for me. I mean, I did it. Uh, I had a guy uh, very first night. Um, I announced. Uh, had a guy write me a five hundred dollar check for he and his wife, and uh, that's shock for me. I, you know, here I'm the greatest uh, thing on earth. Please give me money. No, I, I never did that. Um, I had people who just volunteered to give money, and uh, a sage got some sage advice from somebody, and he said, you know, people, you know, they may not walk uh, knock doors for you. They may not hand out flyers. But they'll feel better if they want you to win uh, by giving you money. And so let them, you know, let them give you the money. And I finally, when it was close to the end of the campaign, I, for the primary, I, I turned down some money because I just, I couldn't use it all. Uh, be honest with you, I, I didn't, I didn't, I bought some signs, you know, <laughs> put them up around town and put some flyers out. Um, and I, I still feel it was kind of a, it wasn't a waste of money, but it was it was certainly more than I wanted to spend uh, those folks' money on uh, the flyers and that kind of stuff. We didn't we didn't do anything frivolous with any of that money. I, I finally turned some of it back. Uh, so the doors, <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever knocked doors for anybody? I, I Ron Paul once upon a time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would have been- that would have been easy, but just just imagine going up on somebody's doorstep and saying, uh, "Hey, I'm Haley, and I I think I'm the the best person to vote for in this upcoming race." See what I mean? Yeah, that's hard. that was hard. Now I awkward. I went. <laughs> it's terribly awkward, but yeah. after about the first ten, I got used to it. And um, if they yelled at me, which a couple of them did, or they slammed the door in my face, I just well, that's the way it goes. You know, before that. That would have probably bothered me, but I don't care anymore. Right. I did it uh, probably four, three thousand, four thousand times this uh, this uh, spring of twenty twenty two. Yeah, but yeah, that was that campaigning. That part was it's the most important thing you can do when you campaign. It's knock on doors, and uh, early on, it was the hardest for me. But I'd go up to the mm-hmm. doors. Uh, hey, I'm Lee Deming. I'm running for the legislature. Uh, do you have any questions? That's how I, so I told everybody. That's that's what I would say. And and sometimes uh, they ask you, are you Republican or Democrat? And I'd say, oh, I'm a Republican. And most of the time, I say, well, you got my vote. <laughs> close the door. <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead. I was did did. I feel like part of me, for me, something that would stump me would be like, well, did. I guess the people who are engaged, I guess most people aren't really engaged. So they just say, okay, you've got a, you're a Republican check. Great. But like in terms of, Hey, did people ask you questions that you were like, I have no idea. Like, I, I don't know about, I'm sure before this you hadn't exactly. And maybe because maybe you have a little bit more than others because of your profession, but um, you know, you haven't like sat there and studied legislature and who voted on what and what each little bill does. So, did you ever get like stumped or caught up in that? And how did you overcome that? Yeah, I did get stumped. We had a meeting at one of the local bars there in town with uh, one of the civic groups in town, and um, I didn't know that if this was going to be a kind of a mixed group of folks uh, from the community. 
Well, one of the people asked me what I was going to do about the um, ambulance situation. We have a volunteer fire department and um, the ambulance isn't, well, it's volunteer. I don't think the folks get paid, but what are you going to do about that? And I said, well, you're going to have to tell me what the problem is because <laughs> I don't know what the problem is and I can try to fix it. And I did get a little information from that, but that was, that was frustrating because you can't know everything, you know, you just can't know everything, but um, it, what's the problem and, and what can I do to fix it is really what I need to know. And I never really got that. Turns out that there was a, uh, a bill that was uh, introduced by somebody else that addressed that. And of course uh, I Pretty sure I, I, I don't know if I voted uh, enthusiastically for it or just for it. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure that I answered that that guy's question. That was that was hard. Now on the doors, the questions are actually quite simple. You know, uh, what what are you going to do about property taxes? What are you going to do about the big uh, surplus? Um, you know, what are you going to do about uh, crime? Although that was very seldom heard that. I don't know. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound to me very simple. I mean, what are you going to do about property taxes? I don't know. I mean, if I'm Ron Paul, well, tax taxation is theft. Can you say that? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Would that that fly? Um, I mean, is there supposed to be like, are you speaking in platitudes or do you have like a, like a specific game plan that you're telling them, well, when I get into office, I'm going to do this, this, and this, or are you just speaking in generalities? So uh, it, it actually depends. Uh, most of the time I would go very specific. And so a uh, big question here in Montana is what are you going to do about the surplus? Now, I don't know if you were, if you know, but uh, Montana got uh, almost a $3 billion surplus uh, tax collection. Did you know that? No. Uh-uh. What are you going to do about the surplus? At the time I was on the doors, it wasn't widely known that it was going to be that much money. But we overtaxed the people. And I, I put in an op-ed in the local paper, taxation is theft. I, I believe that right to the ground. It is, absolutely. Uh, and I made the case in that op-ed that it, it is always theft, particularly when you overcharge, you overtax people and then keep it. And so that was the subject of that op-ed in the paper. I said, we need to give it all back. Now, there is a big move in the legislature to keep some of it, if not all of it. And that's what the Democrats want. They want to keep it mm-hmm. all. Oh, of course. I actually heard a couple of Republicans say that we should keep it all. Okay, let's, let's, I, I can, long-term debt relief, you know, if, if you got long-term debt you want to pay down, that makes sense because you're going to save the taxpayers money in, in, the, in the future. That's the idea behind paying down long-term debt, which we did, by the way. But back then in the spring when we were talking, I said, well, uh, to the people, quite a bit of property tax is actually uh, levied at the local level. And so your school boards and county commissioners and those kind of things are the people you need to talk to. I said, but we will do what we can at the state to uh, reduce property taxes. And, and uh, now we gave property tax money back. Uh, we will, it will come out in the form of a rebate this uh, year 
and next year. Okay, and so I didn't know that. I, I knew about what it was at the time I was campaigning. It was when I first heard it, it was one point seven billion. It's almost three billion surplus now. Okay, so we got to give that money back. And so I would talk about that surplus and where the taxes uh, are generated and that kind of stuff. So I had that. I also got uh, uh, some pretty intuitive questions from folks who were worried about digital currency. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, yeah. in the spring of 2022. Well, that, that's been one of my main concerns for a while now, ever since I first mm-hmm. heard of central bank digital currency. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of people who I, I don't think they're trying to stump me, but when they knew I understood the problem, they started asking me, you know, rapid fire questions. Well, how can we deal with that? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? What can the state do? And of course, the very first thing I say is nullification. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the very first thing. Yep. You know, uh, and that's not very popular, but especially one gal in particular, she said, I love that idea. I said, let's make our own state currency. I mean, Texas is doing something like that. You know, so they, I wrote an, op- an op-ed about that too. And kind of in response to those folks on the doors, uh, questions about uh, digital currency. So hmm. that answers your question. So- yeah, yeah. And um, so when you were in the, when you got elected and you were in the uh, House, um, and I came across you, Defend the Guard. Tell me about Defend the Guard. What is that? Yeah, so uh, the law, or the bill, as written, prohibits the governor from releasing the National Guard, the Montana National Guard, into federal service, into combat overseas absent a declaration of war. Now, uh, that's one of the most important bills anywhere. Uh, and uh, it was, I wish I could say it was my idea. It was that Liam McCullum's idea. Uh, and I thought it was a great idea, obviously, because, um, now, now get this, I don't want to go into the weeds too far unless you want to, because I'm, I'm happy to talk about Defend the Guard all day long. In the global war on terror, 36 Montana National Guardsmen died over there. Wow. 36. Now, I I talked to people uh, since we introduced that Defend the Guard and actually in lead up to Defend the Guard who had no idea that Montana National Guardsmen were deployed overseas in, in combat zones. They had no idea. I heard a dark rumor uh, a few months ago said that um, there's a number of Montana National Guardsmen who have been deployed somewhere secretly that nobody, nobody knows where they are for hmm. a year. Now, you and I both know where they probably are. Again, this is a rumor. I, I, I don't know that it's true. But those are National Guard guys. And now we're in the midst of a fire season in Montana. It's not bad, but it certainly could have been. Right. And, you know, those, those, uh, the Montana Air Guard, they have a substantial number of helicopters that could be pretty useful in fighting fires. Mm-hmm. Where in the world are they? Right. You know, they're not here. Mm-hmm. They're not Montana National Guardsmen. They are federal troops that happen to be stationed in Montana. And that's kind of the way we got to look at it, I think. Mm-hmm. So, right. But, uh, 
and so explain to me what happened because I think what like did it pass out of committee but fail overall or tell me how that how that went down yeah so um we uh I think it was seven to six it passed out of committee and then uh it failed on the floor 40 to 60. now remember we have 68 republicans in the house Mm -hmm. uh and all these anti-war democrats that i always thought democrats were kind of didn't like wars two two voted two democrats voted for that bill that that's a rumor that i say uh oh gosh there's a, a saying that uh Republicans are for small government, like like Democrats are anti-war in opposition only. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. But uh, I think we made, well, uh, there's an unassailable constitutional argument for Defend the Guard. And I, I made it on the floor. And uh, by by unassailable, I mean, there's, there's no argument. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the guys, uh, quote unquote Republican, sits behind me as uh, tons of uh, military experience, retired. Um, he's a transplant from somewhere. He actually said on the floor uh, in opposition, he said that the courts have already uh, uh, ruled on this. Well, yeah, they have. They've ruled that governors cannot. Uh, withhold National Guard troops for training overseas, but they haven't addressed whether they can be sent in to uh, be withheld from going into combat overseas, absent a declaration of war. And so he either didn't know or was lying. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, I saw a lot of that in in the legislature. Uh Either one. It, it, ha- it can't be anything else. You either didn't know the r- right answer or you were lying about it for effect. So anyway, uh, most of the opposition to that Defend the Guard bill came from the Republican Party. You know, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, what uh, Michael Bolden of the Tenth Amendment Center says, uh, he says some of the, the most staunch um, uh people that are against like, oh gosh, against like second amendment stuff are like the sheriff's unions and police unions. So it comes from like, I don't know the way you least expect it. You would think that, oh, you know, these sheriffs and police unions would be all in on like second amendment rights and everything. And yet that you try and pass some of these bills and they're the ones that are throwing up the roadblocks the most um, for, for whatever reason. So what was your general opinion of your colleagues? I think there's tremendous amount of talent there. Um, I, <laughs> I really do. I, I think that there's uh, unbelievable uh, talent. And I think that that's true just about anywhere you go, no matter, you know, uh, no matter what your field is, there are people who are pretty darn special. And that's certainly the case up there. Um, we had, we had tons of experience, all kinds of different um, uh fields, professions, whatever, and uh, very accomplished people in there, uh, business people. Um, there was quite a few people who had a ton of money, uh, you can imagine. Um, but um, I want to say this as delicately as possible. I found out fairly soon 
and unfortunately sometimes too late that uh, you can't trust all of them. Mm-hmm. That's just it's just human nature. Yeah, you know? it's too bad. Yeah. But uh, a couple of them really surprised me. Mm. I, I saw a guy there that I had known for a long time uh, just come out and lie, <laughs> just fly, lie. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I've known this guy a long time. I I just don't recognize him. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. What would be your general advice for anybody who's considering running for office, whether it's a, like a state representative like you did, or even like a local office, county commissioner, school board, anything like that? Can you, uh, what would you suggest or what, what words of wisdom would you impart? <laughs> well, uh, Don't? No. <laughs> no. Yes. no, but you well, are. I was trying to say it well, delicately. No, okay. Actually, though, you know, the reason for this interview is because you were gently actually advocating for somebody in the Tom Woods group to maybe consider running for office. So, you know, we say that tongue in cheek because actually I, I do believe you believe there are merits to it. So, yeah. What, what advice would you give? Well, I know what you're getting into. Like you said, mm-hmm. I had an advantage because I've been studying it for uh, four decades. And uh, even even at that, I was I was surprised. And. This is one of the things I was surprised, most surprised about. And that is that I like this, this deal with this lie. And there certainly wasn't, there was, there was literally lying going on up there, but I was shocked at the visceral reaction I had to it because I kind of expected some of that, you know, and, and uh, another thing that people <laughs> may, may not believe this is uh, I think that some of the, the straightest shooters up there were lobbyists. Hmm. You don't hear that very often, do you? Nope. Yeah. So um, there were exceptions there, obviously. But uh, if I wanted to know something, I I would go to the lobbyist whose field, uh, it was their expertise. And then, and then because they've got the background. You know, let me give you, for instance, this wasn't necessarily a lobbyist, but um, I can't tell you how many hearings I sat through about bail bondsmen. <laughs> I don't know anything about bail bondsmen. I, I, I know what they do, but I don't know how they're regulated. I don't know anything like that. So I, I had to talk to some experts on that. And uh, it turns out that one of the guys that gave testimony had got quite a bit of information from him. Uh, and this is no slam against this guy at all, but I went and checked with people that I trusted to see whether this guy was telling me the truth. And sure enough, this guy was telling me everything, everything he told me was absolutely verified by people that I trusted. And it turns out that he was a straight shooter right from the word go, you know, so I know that I, I was, I, again, I was surprised that even though I expected a lot of badness to happen, I was surprised at how it just a gut punch when it happened, when you actually saw it play out. Mm-hmm. I had kind of a fight with a lobbyist that well, a couple of them, but one in particular. And I, I this day, I won't talk to the guy. He mm-hmm. hung me out to dry. He doesn't think he did. Uh, that anyway, um, that bothered me a lot because I had trusted that guy up until that time. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds like maybe not 
might maybe not good friends, but uh, did you lose any friends or family over <laughs> politics? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. a number of them. Yeah. yeah so uh, you followed that um, that transgender. Uh, yep. Did you follow that deal? Oh, yeah, so. I don't know about Montana specifically, but I've been generally following the whole lunacy of what's going on, but maybe not specifically. <laughs> so uh, we had <clears throat> we had a couple transgender. Uh, um, oh yes, in the Montana, right? Yes, yes, and then they got thrown out or censored. Yeah, and and those are not good characters. They're they're, they're no. not good characters. Well. I'll, I won't bore you with the details, but uh, uh-huh. I, um, the one guy who is transitioned, um, got out of line. There are rules you have to follow for debate in the House, and you have to follow a certain decorum, and he didn't. And the Speaker censored him. And I voted uh, to back the Speaker up because I think he was right in his judgment. Oh my God. I had a couple of former students get after me. You know, you taught us about free speech and you clearly don't believe in that. I mean, long story short, I, uh, yeah, I thought they, you know, uh, don't respect you anymore. It was, it was kind of brutal. One, one of the gals accused me of murder. Wow. Former student, you know, uh, yeah. So long story short, um, I had some, not fights, but, disagreements with some family members, but, uh, yeah, it's not easy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's something that would, I mean, honestly, probably what, I mean, amongst many things, but that's probably one of the things that would cause people to not want to become part of it, especially in the vitriolic environment in which we're living in right now, where, you know, nobody wants to find common ground, where we're not just two reasonable people having a disagreement. I mean, we are entrenched and we really, um, it's, it's a kind of a visceral hate that you feel for the other side. It's not kind of just an amiable disagreement. There is a, at least maybe from an outsider, I don't know how it is as an insider, but, uh, it's real, it's tangible. Um, and the stakes are high nowadays. Right. So, uh, I had really quite good relationships with, uh, a number of the Democrats, and I, I tried to cultivate a few of those, um, just because I, I just wanted to be able to talk to those those folks about what their caucus was thinking. And uh, one of them happened to be um, a, another transgender person who would say the same exact things as this other person that got censored, but but wasn't dumb about it and wasn't deliberately incendiary. Mm-hmm. Well, she's a, a transgender gal who uh is living as a guy or i don't know but um that to me i can talk to i can talk to her i can talk to her about anything in fact uh one of the more difficult bills that we heard in the judiciary committee we sat on the judiciary committee together i i came up to her and i i said look i um you know, I, I vote my conscience first, and that's just the way it is. I, it wasn't an apology. It was not even an explanation. I just wanted her to know that, you know, it, it wasn't really personal. 
And she took it. She said, well, I, I understand. I, I get it. I, I want to keep talking too. You know, th- those are the kinds of relationships I think you have to cultivate a little bit so that you can have some trust that I don't hate any of the people up there. I don't hate, obviously don't hate transgender people. I don't hate anybody necessarily. Um, yeah, there's some people I'm not very fond of, but it doesn't go to that. I can still talk to them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So Lee, we're going to have to wrap up here soon. Um, I usually finish off. I, the name of the show is called what can we do? And so I ask all my guests, obviously we've got a lot of stuff going on, um, in the world today and let's talk solutions. What can we do? Would you see that? I mean, you're, you're here talking as a political, somewhat of a political insider, at least in Montana. Do you advocate for political solutions or do you think there are other things we should, should be doing, uh, spending our time? What do you think uh, we can and should be doing? All right. Sorry, folks. Looks like Lee got cut off. Um, so we are just going to, end it right there. Appreciate Lee for joining us and we will see you on the next episode of Liberty Alliance Network's What Can We Do? Catch you next time. Bye-bye. Aha. But, so I have one. Yeah, that's all right. So I've got one more question anyway. So we're, we're, then I really got to run. Um, but uh, it's my so I'm going to just kind of start over again. I can edit that little bit out. OK, um, so I'm just going to start over in three, two, one. All right. So I I always end the show with uh, the question, what can we do? That's the name of the show. Um, there's lots of problems in the world today. We are all aware of them. Um, you are, I asked this as an outsider, you are somewhat of an insider in Montana at least, but what do you think we should be doing? What can we be doing? Do you advocate more for political solutions or you think we should be doing other things, um, outside of the political sphere, um, to tackle these big problems? What do you think? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think, um, I agree with your assessment um, and not just running for office, but I know, again, going back to the Tom School of Life or not School of Life, supporting list, listeners. So a little bit of inside baseball, but not really because this is relatable. But, you know, we always talk, go back and forth about voting and should we vote? And, you know, some people are, yes, we should vote. But a lot of us are, no, I don't vote. Um, I think COVID, for me at least, uh, pushed me into the voting matters camp 100%. But at the local level, um, because we saw how much power even local politicians wield, these mayors, these city councils, these county commissioners, the health advisors, et cetera, they held a lot of power over our lives during the COVID years and the pandemic, and they made people miserable. Um, and so, and these are not tight races. These are, these are won by not that many votes. So that pushed me into the heck yeah, absolutely, at least at the local level, voting matters. So if you don't want to run, 
um, at least go out and vote and help your local candidates and help support local candidates because um, that definitely in these day and age matters. So, Lee, I really appreciate you joining us on the show. Um, do you have anybody? Do you do you want to plug anything before we get going? Social media, website, anything like that? Do you do you have anything you want to promote before we get out of here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'll be make sure I'll put all this in the show notes page too, and I'll uh, link to the uh, nice little floor speech you gave on uh, in the session about the defend the guard. I, I looked that up just before, and uh, I'll put all that in the show notes page, libertyalliancenetwork.com/slash. Uh, uh, what can we do? And Lee, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate your time today. All right. Have a great day. Bye bye.